0: Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Good morning, Missio Day. We are in the book of James. So if you have a Bible, turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 14 through 26. I'm going to read it um, so so you can see it on the screen or you can track along on your phone or... Or in the Bible, says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister who is poorly clothed and lacking daily food and one of you says, Hey, peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it is done, if it does not have works, is dead. When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Word of the Lord. Uh, So today we are talking about good works. Where do they fit in? Do they matter for salvation? Are they important for us being saved? And do good works and good deeds make a difference in our relationship with God? These are uh, questions that have baffled Christians for a long time and different streams of Christianity. But James gets right at it. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you if you if, if someone claims to have faith, but you have no deeds? can that faith save them? Then he uses an example. He says, imagine someone's poor and, and needy, and you say, hey, let me give you a word of, of providence, but yet you don't provide. Let me let me speak a blessing over you or pray for you, but yet then I don't give you food. He said that, that faith is useless. It has no use. And later on, he says that, even says that Abraham and Rahab were justified by works, not by faith alone, which is a phrase that gives Martin Luther heartburn every time he hears it in his grave, right now. Um, but it, and then he's going to use this offensive metaphor in verse twenty-six. He says, "As the body, without a sp- is it, as the body without the spirit is dead, faith also without deeds is dead." James is not impressed with us saying some thing or repeating some prayer or having a mere intellectual assent to ideas about God. He's interested in us having a real, authentic, vibrant, dynamic faith. And this passage is so important, I think, for our time, because let's be honest, living in the middle of this pandemic is hard, and we are all trying to survive. And I must confess with you that uh, having a dynamic, active living faith, has is one that I want uh, has not been active. It, it's 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 been somewhat stagnant, and it's one that this passage, studying this and reading this, has just convicted me over the one that I want to repent of and change. And so I pray that today's message will not just be sound and smoke. That this message would um, somewhat get in you. I love what T.S. Eliot said about literature. He said the purpose of literature is to turn blood into ink. But I think what James is showing us today is that the purpose of faith is to turn ink into blood, that we would embody this message, that we would incarnate and embody the words of God. And so I wanna encourage you to examine and to take hope and notice and challenge from James. So he first uses this offensive analogy. He says, you have dead faith. You have dead faith if you don't have faith. Good deeds. Good deeds is really practical love, acts of service, sacrifice, loving our neighbor. But he says you have dead faith. And the, the analogy of death, death is not a, a, a thing that we think fond of. Um, as I was preparing for this, my, my daughter came up to me and asked about our dog Piper. And we were talking about that one day, you know, she will, she'll die. And uh, my daughter said something kind of morbid but innocent. She said, hey, when Piper dies, what if her, her fur is so soft? What if we turn it into a coat? I was like, eh, maybe not. And then I was thinking about this passage and uh, I was thinking, but, you know, what if we just left Piper in the living room when she died? She's like, oh, gross, you know, and, and it, dead things rot. That's why this, this analogy is so offensive. He says, if you have a faith without good deeds, without supreme love, it is rot, rotten, it stinks, it decays, it is creepy, <laughs> And what do we do with James? We know the scriptures that we are declared righteous by faith, that it is impossible to please God without faith, and that, that, that faith is a gift from God that he deposits into us. But yet when we add James to the conversation, we get this big idea, that without faith, your, uh, your, without works, your faith is dead. That true living faith is, a, is showing you faith by your actions. You know, translation, talk is cheap. You know, like when I when I show up in the world, if someone never heard that I was a Christian, if someone never heard me talk about God and they just saw my actions, would they go, wow, that person, by the way they live, they must have radical faith by the choices they make. Your actions are so different from the world that that person must have some serious faith in them because of the risk that they're taking. So not only is the big idea of faith without works is dead, but there's some big tensions in this passage for us. We love verses that say, Whoever believes will have eternal life. But we struggle with this in between of the already but not yet verses that say, Hey, you know what? If you clothed me, if you fed me, if you if you if you gave food to the hungry, you did it to me, and you'll be on my right and my left in heaven. We struggle with those kind of verses. And the big tension for Protestants, which is many of us on this call, is often growing up in the Protestant church. The big dilemma, the big tension is this pressure to like question, am I saved? Right. Like, how do I know that I'm saved? There's always this anxiety put on uh, uh, some of our upbringings of like, oh, gosh, what if I'm not truly saved? This passage brings out that tension. I thought salvation was faith alone. Must I do good works to secure it, right? What is James doing? He knew Paul's writings that we are saved by, by grace and through faith alone. Is James deliberately picking a fight with Paul? Uh, he clearly knew those messages. And it's likely that he's not arguing with Paul, but he's addressing a different pastoral concern. James and Paul are complementary. They are not contradictory. James and Paul are fighting two different enemies Of the truth of Jesus on different sides. One abusing grace, the other uh, adding works to grace, and yet Paul is emphasizing the root of salvation. James is emphasizing the fruit of salvation, right? That real faith is going to bear fruit, the fruit of love. And so uh, I want to look at dead faith uh, a demonic faith that james says and then a dynamic faith and i know they all kind of start with d in the alliteration but yeah i'm a preacher and it's clear it's not clever all right um but but you know there's some other streams of christianity or other co-christians from catholic upbringing uh, they have a different tension when they read this text where the protestant asks, am i saved the catholics don't ask that question they wrestle with the question like am i being saved now Like, it's not about a done deal. Their focus is, is Christ being seen alive through me? Am I showing Jesus to the world? Faith must have deeds so Jesus can be seen. And so the Catholic faith agrees that this with James and much more agrees with James in this. The Orthodox Church even has a different nuance. They're less concerned with, am I saved or am I being saved? But their big question is the resurrection, is the risen Christ being seen through me? And if you really press them on salvation, they would say no one's going to really even know that until the day of judgment. And so their angst isn't whether they are saved, but man, do my ref- attitudes, my work, my relationships, do they show the pattern of Jesus? Do they reflect a risen Jesus to the world? And so to summarize, grace is the source of our salvation. Faith is the means of our salvation, Jesus is the object and works are the evidence of our salvation. So who's right? Protestant view, the Catholic view, the Orthodox view? What if we're all right? You know, there's something beautiful about the Protestant view. That says, you know what? Your love of God, the love of God to you is unconditional. It is unfathomable. It is free to you as a gift and that you are secure you can open up the doors and be loved because God sees the good bad and ugly and he has no illusions about what he committed to and even in your your mistakes he's not disillusioned about you he loves you and he's not going anywhere this view that brings such security and confidence that God is not going to leave us nor forsake us that the only thing God has ever left is an empty tomb And so we see here that when you understand the security you have in Christ, when you do bad works or don't do as many good works as you should, you can deal with that in a healthy way, like you would a regular healthy relationship. That's the gift of Paul. There's also something wonderful about this process and beautiful about this process of being saved, this process of becoming the resurrection to others and living out the pattern of the resurrection with our Catholic and Orthodox co-Christians. It means that God isn't finished with us yet. That's good news, that God's still developing with us. The way we are now is not the way we're going to be forever. That God is going to one day, as Paul said, transform us from one degree of glory to the other. That Paul said that he who began a good work in you will complete it in the end. And in Genesis, God says about creation, he dreamed of humanity being in his image. And we've marred that image. Christ has come and is connecting with us and re-imaging us, rebirthing us. There is hope in this view that we are not all as we should be, but one day we will be different than we are, that we are being saved now, that what we do here matters, that we can live to be more human and less filled with ego. You don't have to be stuck that you can undo these patterns, these patterns of stuckness that you were victims of. We can love life more. We can be peacemakers. We can be less violent. We can strengthen our connection with others. This is the gift of James. This is so much hope for people that are in relationship with other people that just gets messy or parenting or marriage that, that my relationships with other people can become more Christ-like, not because I was saved back in 1990 but that I am being saved right now and that I one day will fully be saved. And so good works is about the miracle of the risen Christ that is working in me shown to the world. It's not performative. It's because I have this faith that comes out. Does that make sense? So this is the opposite of a dead faith is this living faith that we see is beautiful. But then James says there's also this kind of demonic faith. He says that you believe God is one, you do well kind of sarcastically. Uh, the, the God is one is the great Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and, and believe that he is one. And, and, and he says, you believe this, right? He says, even the demons have sound theology. The Demons didn't even have to go to seminary. They were in heaven, the best seminary in the universe, and saw God firsthand and know everything about God. They, they agree who God is. They understand intellectually who God is. Right? They, weren't, they were there when he created the world. And not just do the demons have sound th- theology. He says you, they believe God is one and they shudder. Reminds me of Lion King where it's like they say Mufasa, right? And everybody's oh. oh, oh. It's like the, the demons have this sense of respect and understanding and fear of the power of God. They have an emotional response to the presence of God. Or there's maybe even spiritual longings within some people. And so you don't have to love him and you could still have a respect for the supernatural, but still your faith is dead if you don't have this love and trust for him. So my question for us, Monsieur Day, is are we actively followers of Jesus or are we simply bearing his name? Are we active followers of Jesus or are we just bearing His name. It's easy for us to confess things about God or talk God or use spiritual language over things in a certain spiritual religious moment in religion and then in our everyday relationships act as if he's not even there. Live as if he's not even there. Consider the statement from a well-known politician. Here's the quote, one who called himself a Christian and that actively followed Jesus' teaching The national government will maintain and defend the foundations on which the power of our nation rests. It will offer strong protection to Christianity as the basis of our collective morality. Today, Christians stand at the head of our country. We want to fill our culture with the Christian spirit. We want to burn out all recent immoral developments in literature, in the theater, in the press. And in short, we want to burn out the poison of immorality which has entered into our whole life and culture. This is a clear example of someone who calls themselves a Christian and extols Christianity as the most important force in a nation, but who actually is anything but a follower of Jesus. How do I know? Because this well-known speaker and politician is Adolf Hitler. So Christians, we we, we can be somewhat—I don't know—none of us are Adolf Hitler, but there's something in us that can be so not that much different. I think. That we as Christians have listened to so many sermons right now. Like if we feel convicted about something, we think we've done something about it. That if we have this conviction of feeling, we go, oh, I felt convicted. Therefore, I'm like, I'm doing something about it. Now, conviction is good. We need acknowledgement, right? We need the acknowledgement that God is one. We need acknowledgement that we need to change. We need the resolve that we're going to change. But James says that is not far enough. That dead faith and demonic faith are insufficient faith. He says they're useless. He says what we need is a dynamic faith. And James gives some Old Testament support. James is a great writer. James looks and says, what examples can I show real faith? He takes two people of the opposite spectrums. Both are followers of Yahweh by real faith. He takes first Abraham, the OJ, the original Jew, right? the stalwart of the faith. He takes Abraham, the one that everyone would look up to and respect because he was writing in a Jewish context of Jewish converts to Christianity. And he looks at Abraham and he says, man, if Abraham was right here, Abraham would say, man, I've I've had a rough go. I've been depressed. I thought I was going to die. I had no lineage, which was very important in my culture. And life was kind of lame. And God came and intervened. And I didn't even know who this person was, but this being God, he called himself Yahweh. He came to me and said, I'm going to bless you with many sons. And I'm going to make them the the, the future. And they're going to bless all the nations. And I'm going to give you this one son, Isaac, and he's going to be a blessing. And it's going to turn into a great nation. And he made this promise. And for 30 years... 30 years, I struggled to believe and not believe this promise. And after three decades, God tested me. And you know how he tested me? He said, Abraham, now that I've given you your son, Isaac, I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. Now, I'm not for child sacrifice, but this culture does sacrifice, and I want you to do it. And I knew that it took me three days to wrestle with this, this request, but I knew God's heart was love, and I knew he wouldn't ultimately make me go through this, but I went in faith, trusting that God would provide another way and I did it and trusted God with my greatest prized relationship, my son. This faith is personal faith. It is the personal faith that God gives us that's dynamic. So if we want to have dynamic faith, it must be personal. No one is going to pinch hit for you. It's cool when someone else has a great testimony or your family, but do you know God for yourself? Do you have faith in action? Charles Booth, a great pastor and preacher, tells a woman of a story of a woman dying of cancer and, and the, the pastor comes to the hospital sh- to show up to minister to her and she says something that rocks Booth's world. She's dying of cancer and she says, Pastor, I'm glad you're here. I have to tell you something. I know my God is a healer and him and the other pastors are shouting and amening and so excited. And then she says something that just said, messed him up. She goes, but you know what? If God doesn't heal me, I'm going to my grave knowing that God is a healer. God doesn't have to do anything else for me. God has done enough. And I don't know where you are, but if there are two or three others on this Zoom call or YouTube call, that if God doesn't do anything else for you, what he's done in the past is enough and that you will worship him and praise him for the rest of your life because what he's done is enough and you will continue to live personally. James then gives a second example where faith meets religion, where true faith deconstructs the religion into real faith. And he says, Rahab, this other social extreme example, who's a, who if we talked to Rahab, Rahab would say, you know what, I was a victim of sexual oppression. I was an, a total outsider from the, the Jewish faith. I was, I was a Gentile and, and looked down upon. And yet when these two Jewish spies came into my territory, I cared for them. I risked my entire life for them because God had mercy on me and saved me from oppressive activity. He, he has done so many good things for me. And I know that it's the God who did this. And so I believed and I obeyed God and followed God. And I'm like, wow. Wow. That's amazing, Rahab, like, what else? Tell me more. Well, I'm amazed that God would save me, and I'm amazed that I'm in Hebrews 11. I'm even amazed that I am in the genealogy of Jesus. Well, Rahab, how did you get there? I got there the same way you did, by the very grace of God. And that grace changed me to take care of the needs for others. So we see that these two examples summarize the faith. It says, dynamic faith is a love for God, Abraham, and a love for your neighbor, Rahab. Two examples on two social spectrums. James is a great writer. So I want to close with this. I want to give you a practical tool and attention and some encouragement. First, a practical tool. In your James guide, there's a tool in the prayer section called Examine. It's a tool that I use to help me daily examine my life and to and go through my day and to let myself experience God. There's a few movements. You can Google it. I'm going to go fast because you can look it up. But first is what am I thankful for? Where do I have gratitude? Second is review the day, morning, lunch, and evening. Where did I sense God's presence? Where did I pay attention to it? Where did I neglect it? Number three, is there any sorrow in my life? Is there any sin I need to confess? Is there anything I regret? And can I receive? And then, I want to receive God's forgiveness. And lastly, is I want to ask God for grace for tomorrow to see him in his presence. It's a practical tool that will help us not have a dead faith or demonic faith, but a dynamic faith. And then there's a tension, as we mentioned, but I'm left confused when I read this passage because I don't always do good works. Sometimes I'm loving, sometimes I'm generous, sometimes I'm sacrificial, but I also do bad works. In Matthew 25, where Jesus says, some are sheep and some are goats. I act like the good sheep at times, but then I'm, I got a lot of goat on me still, right? Like, I've, I've neglected people I love. I've ran from God deliberately. I do not always do good things. What do I do with this? What does this mean for my life? Well, it reminds me of when we bought our house. We saw this backyard with luscious, loam earthy soil on one side and grass on the other and then we we went on vacation and came back and to move into our house after we closed in weeds Japanese knotweed which is apparently the hardest weed in the world to get rid of it's a epidemic in Great Britain anyway It was taller than my head. I mean, these were not just like some little weeds. These were robust, angry weeds. And so I moved in and just started like a weed eater whacking away at these weeds. I felt like a little guy in a big bowl of coleslaw, right? Just just stuff everywhere. And then I began to put tarp over this area because you can't just kill them easily. And we began to put things on top and mulch and flower beds. and, And how does my neighbors know someone is living, a new resident has moved in? They know because they see the progress over time that there's less weeds and there's more grass. And how do you know a new resident has come and lived in us, that we are alive and not dead? The spirit of God is in us and you have a new life that he's deposited in you. And he begins to plant new grass and pull out selfishness and rip up our ego and plant love. And it doesn't all happen at once. God who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it to the end. Amen, Miss Yoday. That God is faithful. And in the end, we will be completely his forever and we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. And just want us to end with one final, the final takeaway, just a reminder, what all this is about is works matter, not to earn salvation, but to grow in our salvation and reflect the risen Christ to the world. You know, one of the most, one of my favorite albums and probably one of the most important musical works of the 20th century is John Coltrane's Love Supreme. I love John Coltrane's Love Supreme. And it was not just a beautiful album. The album was, was put on with instrument, uh, members of bands that have been playing together for years and they didn't practice. And it's, they, the members say that John didn't really give us any verbal direction. He just let us give freedom and play off each other's cues and and lead and and years of playing together it showed that they'd reached this level where they could play this music with freedom and read each other's social cues and from the opening of the song a four note bass line builds and becomes the framework of this 33 minute spiritual and musical journey called love supreme but it wasn't just a musical uh, masterpiece this came out of john coltrane's spiritual story that he was struggling with addiction to cocaine and alcohol so much so that he got fired by Miles Davis. And in this deep, dark hole, Coltrane said, I have acknowledged that God is one and that I, my life is unmanageable. And that because my life is unmanageable, I have the resolve to get things right. And this spiritual journey resulted in love supreme. Now, He said that, he writes also that he didn't, he he stopped his addiction, but then it came creeping back in after his dedication. And what I love about Love Supreme is the chapters are acknowledgement, resolve, and pursuance. And this beauty of this uh, melody and harmony and rhythm of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in other words, you have to acknowledge first that God is one. Then you have the resolve and then you act, you pursue, you do good works, and the manifestation of it all is a love supreme. James says faith with good works is a love supreme. There's an acknowledgment that God is one. Great start, but the demons do that. You've got good intentions to love. You have resolve, but intentions are not enough. There must be pursuit. And so my challenge for us, Monsieur Day, as we close is that you would let your religion meet real faith. That when you have religion, it will tell you what to say. But when you have a love supreme, it will tell you how to live. When you have religion, you'll memorize scripture. But when you have a love supreme, you'll live out the scriptures. When you have religion, you'll, you'll talk about Jesus. But when you have a love supreme, you'll love Jesus with your whole being. You'll bring your whole self to God. Religion is a system but love supreme is a way of life. Religion builds a church. Love supreme says, I've got the church in me. And I want to know today, is there anyone who wants a love that is supreme? A faith with works that shows a risen Christ to the world. Amen? Let's pray. God, I I pray that that we as Monsieur Day um, have a dynamic faith in this season. That we would uh, press into you and you would press into us. And that push and pull and the love of Christ would compel us to have a deeper faith. And so as I pray for us, um, I want to pray a few things for Missio Day. Number one is that we would have a renewed vision of Jesus. A renewed vision of Jesus in his resurrection seen, seen through us. That Jesus is among us. He is here right now in our living rooms. We have been united with Christ and we don't proclaim a Jesus that is just an ethical teacher, not an abstract idea, but as a liberator who re-images us into his image and as a person to be known and experienced, to call us into reciprocal oneness with God. And so my heart is simple for us, Monsieur Day. I think we know Jesus as Savior. We know Jesus as salvation, that he's forgiven us of our sins. We recognize that transaction, right? But I think few of us know him as a liberator who transforms us from one degree of glory to the other. And so I'm praying that Christ would re-image you into his image today, that he would press into your maker and that the push-pull of the love of Christ would compel you to have a love supreme and worship him wholeheartedly and fully for all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodeschicago.com.